This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Well, we are post-election, with the outcome of some races yet to be determined, even the outcome of Congress. At the same time, the 27th meeting of the Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, COP27, is meeting in Egypt. So lots going on and, and on the line. Here with me to discuss the implications of the recent election and COP27 is Steve Malloy, author and founder of JunkScience.com, a multi-award-winning science and public health website dedicated to exposing and debunking efforts to misuse science and advance social and political agendas. He's also a member of the Heartland Institute's Board of Directors, I'm proud to say. Steve, thanks for joining us and for sharing your expertise today. Well, thanks for having me, Sterling. It's great to be here with you. So, Steve, in the run-up to the election... The stumbler, plagiarist, hair sniffer, and mumbler-in-chief, Joe Biden, made a series of campaign appearances in order to shore up support for Democratic candidates. But along the way, he made some major admissions about coal and oil and gas that showed he and his party, I think, really don't understand America's energy needs. Uh, What did Biden say, and how do you think it played in middle America? Well, so uh, Biden came out this week and not came out. I mean, I think he's always been this way, but he reiterated his opposition to coal. He said he's going to wipe out coal. He's going to stop oil drilling. Um, and these are positions that he has had since at least he was vice president with the Obama administration. Uh, and, you know, if you if you squeeze him hard enough or just let him blurt things out, he will admit what he really stands for. Um, you recall in the last debate before the 2020 election, he said that he did not oppose fracking. Uh, but just this weekend, he said he's going to wipe it out, shut down coal plants. I mean, this is where all our electricity comes from. It's totally crazy. It makes no sense. Um, but, but he, he just doesn't care. I mean, he is, he, he's on this, you know, suicide mission to destroy, uh, our energy system and economy. Uh, and, and voters, I don't know. I mean, I, Maybe they don't, they don't actually, maybe the media they listen to doesn't, re, doesn't report any of this, but it's quite scary, uh, when he says that, you know, he's, he's going to destroy our, our, you know, electricity grid in the name of climate. Well, let me ask you something about that because, um, so Biden said these things, but do you really think he wants to destroy the economy or does he, you know, fantasy like believe? Does he live in this world? where you really can replace these things with wind and solar if you just get serious about it. Yeah, I, well, um, there's no evidence that any of this can be replaced by wind and solar. I don't know what he believes. I don't know what goes on in his mind. I mean, uh, his mind appears to be falling apart. Um, but, you know, I pay attention to this pretty closely. And, and you know, you know, there's um, – this whole thing, uh, the goal is net zero, right? To get rid of fossil fuels completely, uh, down to a net zero economy, net zero emissions. And the White House last week issued a net zero roadmap. And if you 
you know, look at the roadmap and read through it, what you find out is that, you know, the roadmap to uh, zero out emissions by 2050 is uh, research and development at the Department of Energy. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, that's but that's so a well long way past. from that's a long way from having a plan. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, you know, he's got $370 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act, and they are going to start dismantling our grid in the bid to get to uh, net zero, even though they don't know that it's going to be able to work. Yeah. So, you know, more than a little depressing, Steve. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, well, we got it. We have to know where we stand. I mean, no, I agree. Yeah, this I, is a very serious issue that they're dismantling our grid and have no plans to substitute it with something that works. You know, it's it's yeah. before you build a house, for example, or a building, you've got a blueprint. You know what you could do. Uh, you've got the materials and you've got the financing lineup. They don't have any of that. Yeah. Now it's 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 accurate. Uh, but depressing, nevertheless. The truth in this case is depressing. Uh, so, Steve, the election, speaking of uh, things that are a little bit depressing, the election's now over. <laughs> and although all the votes in some races have yet to be counted, and even though in some sense it was not a national election, there were no national, uh, you know, the president wasn't on the ballot, none of that, matters of national import were on the ballot. Um, they said the economy was the number one issue. The inflation was the number one issue. Crime was a top issue. It's not clear that that showed in the election results. So do you think the preliminary outcome shows anything about what average Americans thought about Biden's and the Democrats' policies in general and their energy and economic policies in particular? Well, you, you know, it's hard to know what Americans think because, you know, we were inundated with polls all fall showing that Americans care about the economy and crime. And if you look at the results, it's really hard to see that anywhere. Where exactly did that happen? Um, the election, you know, just taking it at face value is that we are a divided country and people are going to vote for Democrats, even if they are, you know, enfeebled by stroke over, um, you know, a, a moderate Republican by a substantial amount. And I just I don't know what to make of any of it. The only, um, you know, bright side from, you know, my perspective, I work on uh, on climate, as, as you do, uh, is that no one has pointed to climate <laughs> as a reason for for voting for a Democrat. Right. Uh, climate, you know, abortion, you know, that was an, was an important issue in Pennsylvania, I think, uh, possibly other places around the country, but not climate. So, I mean, that's somewhat gratifying. Now, uh, the, I mean, the fact that, um, you know, uh, Biden still has two years to go and he's going to use the regulatory state to implement his climate agenda is bad. Uh, but at least, uh, as far as you know, Congress is concerned, climate is just is it's nowhere to be seen, and it's just not an important issue. So, I think you know that's that's a little bit of success we're having. And Biden was going to do that regardless of you know regardless yes. of the outcome of the election, right? Yes. I mean, that's not yes. all like Obama. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I mean, Ob Obama before Obama, you know, tried to get stuff through Congress uh, on climate, 
simultaneously, he uh, started processes at the EPA, and when he crapped out in uh, with with cap and trade in 2010, and Republicans took over Congress, well, he already had in process, uh, the, you know, the war on coal going through EPA. So yeah. Biden's doing the same thing. Biden, yeah, Biden was doing that anyway. The, 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 it, it looks like the Republicans are likely to take the House, not by the margin that was in the polls indicated, um, which means legislation, no matter what happens in the Senate, legislation on climate is likely dead. Um, so parties, you know, quite different from what, what it seems may have happened here. Uh, parties on the right just won a couple of elections in Europe, uh, Italy, and I think uh, it's either Switzerland or Sweden. Um, Sweden. Sweden. And coal is making a comeback in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it never really went away in, 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 in China or India, but uh, it's, it's, it's coming in elsewhere, too. You know, Vietnam's doing well, it. Yeah. Uh, most of South America is planning on drilling uh, for oil and gas. So what are your thoughts on the state of elitist climate agenda in the run up to COP27? <laughs> what is what is the world well, telling uh, the negotiators at COP27? Yeah. So we are 34 years into uh, what I like to call uh, climate idiocy. <laughs> this irrational notion that by destroying our energy system, we're going to change the weather. So we're 34 years into that. We've had tons, tons, and tons of propaganda. We've spent trillions of dollars on propaganda and green stuff. And what is the result? Well, the result is that emissions have increased 50%. We are now going to burn more coal this year than ever before. Uh, and you wonder, so like, what's been the whole point? And, you know, through the whole, uh, 30, 30 years, the UN has had these, uh, you know, annual climate meetings where they, you know, keep promising to do things that, you know, where nothing ever happens. Um, now they're mostly arguing about uh, how they're going to pay, how they're going to keep poor countries interested in playing along with the climate hoax by by paying them under the guise of, you know, climate reparations or loss and damage or, you know, uh, um, try to prevent, you know, weather disasters in the future. So, um, you know, it's something that we have to grin and bear. I don't think anything is going to happen from, you know, they're meeting right now in Egypt for COP27. I don't think anything is going to come out of that. I'm sure they'll have some, you know, uh, fake agreement they'll, they'll announce at the end, but nothing's going to change. Recall last year at COP26, um, you know, they were, their agreement was to consign coal to the ash bin of history. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was literally their, their, their goal and literally their statement. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're going to be burning more coal this year than ever before. And next year, even more than that. Uh, China and India are totally bought into coal. Western Europe, Germany is reopening coal plants that were shuttered and keeping open coal plants that it planned on closing because it, they they need the electricity and the coal provides electricity and it and it's affordable and it's and the ironic thing is that you know coal coal is at record prices and the you know in the in the European Union they have this emissions trading system that's also near record prices and 
coal at record prices with emissions trading is still cheaper than solar and wind. Oh yeah, yeah. No. The uh, I, I'm wrong, but I think I read somewhere. I thought it was humorous that Germany is is uh, it's I think it's like destroying a historic town to dig up coal. Oh right, a village, yeah. And <laughs> and and uh, you know, knocking down some of the forest, and maybe even um, uh, ripping up some solar panels or knocking down some wind turbines to get it coal. Wind turbines, right, right. Yeah, there's uh, you know, they they strip mine for lignite yeah. in Germany, and uh, you know, in one place there's a small village that is going to disappear because they need you know they want the lignite on, lignite under it. Uh, there's forests that are disappearing, and one one place there is a a, a wind farm, small wind farm, that is going under because they want the lake night. So. There you go. Uh, that, well, quite entertaining. That shows that Cole's is going to the ash bin of history. Uh, more more proof that that's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, from, the from, the ger- the from, from the Germans, the yeah, from, from the Germans, no less, who are have been leading this climate alarm in Europe for many years. Yeah, no, it's been a total disaster over there, right? I mean, this whole energy crisis, the war in Ukraine, uh, for my money, you can trace right back to the Kyoto Protocol and all the climate idiocy that has uh, followed. It goes right back to that. You know, we uh, Europe started, you know, uh, shedding its emissions, exporting them. Uh, and then instead of producing their own energy, they, you know, outsourced that to Russia which, you know, enriched and empowered Putin. Uh, and once he had them sufficiently addicted and at his mercy, you know, he went back to get Ukraine. So he was emboldened to do that and, and wealthy enough yeah. to do it because of their yeah. energy policy. Yeah. And so now and now, of course, we have all these you know Western sanctions which have all backfired and are just hurting Western Europeans and Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Putin is selling um you know, about as much oil as he was before, but at much higher prices to the Chinese. And the so, Indians. The Indians are still alive. And the Indians, oh, right. Oh, and oh, and and uh, people in the Middle East. So, yeah. well, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, climate was always irrational and and trying to, you know, implement irrational policies just leads to disaster. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about COP27. So what, do they hope to accomplish? What do you think the final impact will finally be? And so far, uh, I've seen some funny things the last couple of days. What have been the highlights and lowlights so far, in your opinion? Well, let's start out with what, you know, I think the theme of this particular COP is, um, you know, climate reparations. You know, poor countries uh, basically want money from rich countries, nothing new there. Uh, they think climate is a way to get it. Um, you recall 2009 at the Copenhagen COP, Obama promised, uh, you know, uh, Western countries promised $100 billion a year. Of course, none of that ever materialized uh, to the extent that poor countries got anything. It was just standard foreign aid that was rebranded as climate. And, um, you know, foreign countries have really been sort of uh, – you, you know, tricked all along. You know, at, at COP26 last year, Europe and the United States promised, uh, for example, South Africa eight and a half billion dollars to start transitioning out of coal and into wind and solar. 
but you know it hasn't really worked out so far and the south africans are upset because as it turns out only 3% of that 8.5 billion dollars is cash <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's just hot air <laughs> and and more debt which they can't you know they can't pay to start with so uh i i, I don't know. So the whole the whole thing is kind of amusing you know the climate reparations as far as you know interesting events well i don't know i saw um there was a picture yesterday where uh, some some uh, I think he was a either Swedish or Dutch protester holding up a sign that said that uh, climate denial uh, deserved uh, the death penalty. That was an Irish Irish protest. Irish, that's right. He's Irish, right? Yeah. So there you go. And then and then there's our friend Mark Morano who. Uh... <laughs> went over and <laughs> yeah. shook the hand of uh, now I'm going to disclose I went to a few Society for Environmental Journalists conferences a, a few years ago and actually had dinner with S Seth Bornstein I've, I've talked to yeah. him on more than one occasion and uh, he used to be um, at least open to discussions on climate matters he yeah. quoted me in a few articles early on Um but he is not anymore, and he didn't know who Mark was. Shook his hand, and someone told him, and he he recorded. Yeah, so her, yeah, right? so Mark Morano, Mark Morano saw uh, Mark Morano Climate Depot saw uh, Seth Bornstein standing talking to other people. He went up and uh, I guess took his hand, and Seth uh, Bornstein, who's the AP reporter, covers climate, uh, started shaking Mark's hand, and then he realized Mark introduced himself. <laughs> And Seth Bornstein exploded in rage, you know, calling Mark deceitful, disgusting, you know, all sorts of all sorts of names, saying that he never would have. He called him one of the worst people ever, you know, just a notch yeah. above Steve Malloy. <laughs> <laughs> just a notch. And then and then said that he never would have shaken Mark Morano's hand had he known who he was. I mean, and so this whole this is just all really crazy. I mean, you. you you know, there, there's something wrong with a, when a reporter won't even, you know, be civil to you on, yeah. on a on his beat, right? Yeah. Oh my God. He's, he recalled in heart. You you would have thought yeah. that uh, that Morano was carrying like the plague or leprosy or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can understand why Seth Bornstein is mad at me. I mean, I I, uh, I you know I trash him all the time on Twitter because he writes garbage. Um, so that's fine, but Mark doesn't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, and so, do you think? Do you think they'll uh, actually gin up a lot of this money, or do you think it'll be like the past empty promises? Well, I think there will be. They'll have to make promises to get the poor countries to sign on to the agreement at the end, like they always do. Okay, so in two thousand nine, they promised $100 billion a year, and of course, all the poor countries signed up. Uh, last year, you know, they did things like the they promised uh, $8.5 billion to South Africa. But do the promises ever work out? No. <laughs> only only a small percentage of the $100 billion a year has ever been uh, forked over. Uh, we talked about South Africa. Only 3% of that is cash. Um you know, foreign aid gets rebranded as climate aid, so they don't really get the money. And, and, and of course, you know, but they remain hopeful, right? I mean, they're very optimistic about getting something. So they play the game, and this whole thing just 
just goes on. Um, even though, you know, none of these countries have any climate damages they can point to. I mean, right. uh, you know, we're, we're, at, we're at the point where if there's bad weather in Pakistan or India or, you know, wherever, um, I mean, they, they just dramatize it by blaming it on climate or global warming and demanding money, which is, you know, where we are right now. I mean, right now, you know, Pakistan had a pretty bad flood, monsoonal floods this year. Yep, yep. And, um, so that, that is the, that is the number one talking point for climate reparations. Attributed all to climate change. Yeah. As if flooding never happened in Pakistan before. Well, yeah. I mean, what happened in Pakistan is just, uh, you know, seasonal monsoons, and and actually, uh, you know, if you, researchers have looked at the data, and you know, monsoonal precipitation has actually been declining over the last fifty years. Uh, so, and, they, and you know, there's there's been some deforestation in in Pakistan, which I guess made the flooding worse. Uh, it is, it's, you know, these are complicated weather events. There's a lot going on. It's got nothing to do with CO2 emissions, but of course. You know, in a world where people vote for John Fetterman, they don't really care about reality. So, <laughs> <laughs> it is the world we live in. Well, Steve, it's been fun as always. I know you're busy, but I'm pleased you could be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Well, thanks for having me, Stuart. Listeners, thanks for checking on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Steve Malloy, both uh, at johnscience.com and elsewhere. In addition, continue to listen to our podcast as we track the energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you and go frequently to our policy bot site, your one-stop shop for free market solutions to public policy problems. Finally, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.